Welcome to Choate's Litigation Updates, a podcast series hosted by our trial attorneys covering current litigation issues in life sciences, financial services, healthcare, consumer products, and private equity. Hello, everybody. We're finally at the point where we're seeing the light at the end of the long, dark pandemic tunnel. And that's because, of course, of the vaccination rollout. In this episode, we discuss the interplay between vaccinations and the decision to either require employees to return or allow them to return. And we discuss the attendant potential litigation risks associated with the return to the workforce. My name is Joan Lukey, and I'm the chair of Choate's Complex Trial and Appellate Group. And my name is Allison Reef, and I'm the chair of Choate's Labor and Employment Group. Today, I'm going to pose some questions to Allison, who will discuss what the answer is as a matter of law today, and then I will have some comments about the litigation risks. So let's get started. Allison, can our listeners require their employees to be vaccinated when their turn arrives, of course, so that all of us can get back to work? So the short answer to that, Joan, is yes. The law's evolving, as you might understand, since there's happily little precedent for this situation. And as often happens with laws, they were designed for a particular but different set of facts. So we're trying to fit them to the new situation. So it's all evolving. But what we do know is that the EEOC and other authorities have indicated that it is permissible to require your employees to get a vaccine and to return to work with two important exceptions. Number one, If your employee has a medical condition that precludes them from obtaining the vaccine or makes it medically unadvisable, you should not, of course, require the vaccine for that particular person. Second, if an employee has a legitimately held religious belief that precludes the employee from getting the vaccine, you may also need to refrain from requiring it for that employee. Otherwise, the early indications are that it is, in fact, permissible to require employees to both obtain the vaccine and then to return to work. Well, that sounds like good news to those of us who are concerned about reaching herd immunity, but let me mention just a couple of litigation risks. There are always going to be disgruntled employees or former employees, and unfortunately, there will always be attorneys who are going to be glad to represent them. But it's important for our listeners to remember that if you're a private employer as opposed to a federal, state, or local agency or government, then the usual constitutional analyses don't apply in the way they would if you were a public employer. That's not to say that you as private employers are simply home free. The risk that exists, even in a circumstance where, as Allison explained it, the law apparently permits you to require your employees to be vaccinated, is this. If you choose to terminate someone or demote them to a non-public facing position because of their refusal, you could find yourself confronting either a suit for wrongful termination and violation of public policy or a suit for wrongful demotion and violation of public policy. The likelihood is that you'd win at the end of that time But in the meantime, of course, two to four years may have gone by and a lot of money have been expended. So it's an issue that we're trying to help you focus on and to navigate around. So Allison, if an employer doesn't want to run these litigation risks, what do you suggest the options are? 
there are no industry practices yet, of course, um, or, or standards or norms since the vaccine isn't yet widely available enough for employers to implement policies. But there are some ideas that employers are starting to come up with if they don't want to flat out require all employees to get a vaccine. They fall into four categories, really. First, and, and maybe the most popular thus far, are rather than requiring the vaccine, using an incentive incentive program to encourage employees to get the vaccine. Many employers already have wellness programs or the like where they financially incentivize people or reward people for taking particular steps with regard to self-care. And so the vaccine would be an addition to that suite of wellness programs that already exists and would hopefully encourage more employees to get the vaccine. And employers would then require proof of the vaccine in order to get the incentive so they would have documentation that an employee had in fact been vaccinated. The second option is, and, and really related, employers might consider hosting a vaccine site at their workplace, particularly if they're a larger employer. Many state governments, including quite recently ours here in Massachusetts, are encouraging employers to do just that. It would essentially be a clinic on site that would be voluntary, but it would make it sufficiently convenient for employees, even those who haven't yet returned to work, or maybe particularly those who haven't yet returned to work, to get the vaccine. A third option is to essentially require the vaccine, but offer an accommodation to those who express concerns, broader than the, than the concerns employers are required to take into account that I discussed earlier. And those kinds of accommodations might be continuing to work from home for a period of time, or returning to work, but in a more isolated physical space or role. With this option, it's important to note that employers need to make clear that the accommodation, whatever they've agreed to, is temporary and may be revisited at any time. The facts are obviously evolving and the situation is evolving happily around the pandemic. And so those sorts of accommodations should not need to be permanent um, and shouldn't be offered as permanent. The fourth and last option is to offer employees who aren't vaccinated some sort of furlough or leave, usually unpaid, with, with a sort of first right of return once circumstances change. That's, that's another option similar to what employers did at the beginning of the pandemic, albeit for different reasons. Well, Allison, I think you have just hit on the key point to helping our listeners if they want to avoid litigation risks. The more efforts that you are able and willing to undertake to lessen either the appearance or the actuality of compulsion surrounding vaccination, the better off you will be if you do face a lawsuit. The options Allison just mentioned might well save you from liability and even assist you in getting out of a case early on a motion to dismiss or a motion for summary judgment. Think about the fact that if you're offering the option to work remotely, it's very difficult for a prospective plaintiff to complain that she or he has been injured in some way. And also the option could be considered of moving these individuals into non-public facing positions. And when I say that, I really mean non-risk transmission positions because you don't want your other employees to be exposed any more than you want the public exposed to someone who may be a vector and be unwilling to be vaccinated. 
So doing whatever you can to broaden the scope of the options available to the employee may help tremendously. At the end of the day, though, let me say this. If you have a circumstance where you ultimately have to say to an employee, either you're being laid off or you're being terminated because you are refusing to be vaccinated, you may be pleasantly surprised with the number of employees who will elect in that instance to go ahead with the vaccination. So let's go on to another question, Allison. What happens if employees want to return without being vaccinated or flipping the coin if they refuse to return after they have been vaccinated, but before the medical community tells us that we have herd immunity? So let's take those one at a time and starting with employees who want to return to work without being vaccinated. First, employers can say no, right? At the moment, they appear to have that right. Employees don't have the right to return to the workplace at any particular time, especially if the employee's job can be done remotely. For employees who could perform their work in isolated areas of the workplace, you might consider allowing them to return, but under certain restrictive conditions. That, however, leads to an obvious question of why the employee wants to come back. It might be more fruitful to just ask the employee, why exactly do you want to return? Because their concerns or issues might be solved in another way. So, for example, if an employee were to respond to that question with, well, I'm just so sick of being at home, that's probably going to generate a different response from their employer than a response more like, I simply can't do my job effectively from home and I'm willing to take whatever precautions you like in coming back to the office, but I really feel like it's important for me to return. The second question you asked is what to do about employees who refuse to return even after being vaccinated because they feel that not, not enough of their colleagues are vaccinated. The answer is pretty similar for that group, though in this particular case, I would add it's critical to inquire as to the nature of that employee's concerns. They may be high risk. They may have other similar issues that the employer should take into account before they respond. But absent those sort of protected concerns, the employer could deny the request, particularly for employees who can't work remotely. And lastly, I'll just add another alternative might be to allow these employees to continue to work from home for a period of time. Though again, as noted earlier, employers should make it clear that they reserve the right to require the employee to return at any particular time in the future. Well, that all makes a lot of sense. I think an important factor for all of us to remember when these decisions are being made and when you as an employer are contemplating what accommodations you're willing to make is this. Many of those who are unwilling to be vaccinated fall into racial or ethnic groups who have a good faith basis for believing that they have been mistreated either by the government or by the medical system or both. The paradigm example, of course, is the Tuskegee project some years ago, the syphilis testing in which black men were subjected to risk and not actually being treated while they were supposedly under treatment. Events of that nature have created a real sense of distrust within the black community. And you will hear certain stories told of a similar nature by other groups of color. It is important to remember, even though those groups don't technically qualify for the legal exemptions that Allison mentioned, 
such as medical exigencies or the fact that they have a sincerely held religious belief, those groups do fall very close to that second category in that their beliefs are deeply seated and are held in good faith. When you're confronted with that kind of a situation, and if you are able to get an express answer or to tease the answer out in some way, one would hope that you are even more open to accommodations to avoid what is unfair to those individuals, but also to avoid litigation risks. It is possible, although not probable, that at some point in time, some court somewhere may equate the feelings, the good faith beliefs of that nature to the sincerely held religious belief category. So what that is, is just a warning to us that we should be thoughtful of the employee's particular circumstances whenever you are making a decision as to what to do if that employee declines to be vaccinated. That, by the way, is the likely reason that no government, state, federal, local, has been willing to impose a vaccination mandate, even though to do so is in fact legal. Joan, that's a really good point. Like any policy that an employer decides to roll out, employers are well advised to consider the impact of a particular policy on all subgroups within their employ. You need to think carefully about each different employee population, certainly including your minority populations, and consider what the concerns may be from each of those groups. Well, I think that wraps it up for us today. Thank you to everyone for listening in, and we look forward to helping with any further questions that you might have. For more information, please visit www.choate.com. You can also listen to additional podcast episodes in the newsroom of our website and subscribe to them wherever you listen to podcasts, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. The information presented in this recording is for educational purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice for a specific situation. If you wish to obtain legal advice, you should retain an attorney and explain the facts of your particular situation.